many years he walked in darkness as he groped along the streets with his hand stretched out for pennies or for just a bite to eat it's the story of a blind man who met jesus on his way and with the master's touch the man looked up as the scoffers heard him say somebody touch me somebody touch me i was blind but praise his name i now can see And made him walk again. And the master saw with pleasure he had labored not in vain. Like the story of that crippled man, I once was bound by sin. But since the master came, oh, praise his name. To some it's just an emblem, a formality. It's a symbol that's been used so frequently. Two pieces of rough timber on 
before Brother Runyon comes, I just feel like we ought to pray. Let's do that right now, would you? Father, we come to you, Lord. We thank you once again for just the wonderful evening you've already given us. Thank you, Father, for the wonderful message and song that was our privilege to be a part of. And Lord, tonight as Brother Runyon comes, we're praying that you fill him with your Holy Ghost, that, Father, you prepare his heart, that you ready his mind even now. Lord, I know he's been praying. I know he's been preparing. But, Lord, now we need your power. Oh, Father, speak to him, and may he, through, through his words, may you speak to us. Bless your people tonight now. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Brother Runyon, you come preach for us, would you? Thank you, preacher. Well, there's nothing like family harmony, is there? You just can't beat it. <clears throat> Boy, the, uh, pray for my voice. It's been acting up today. If I'd shut up and stay off the telephone, I could <laughs> preach at night. But I can't stay off of the telephone. It just rings and rings. I tried to take a nap this afternoon, and every time I doze off, phone rings. And uh, Africa and Mexico and Egypt <laughs> and all those places. And uh, I do appreciate the Rock of Ages, brother. I, uh, I go all the way back to Brother Blue, <laughs> uh, Brother Garris, very dear friend of mine, and I appreciate what the Rock of Ages does. Uh, they, uh, these men and their wives need your prayers about double time because they're always on the road, and uh, that ministry don't work unless men are in the prisons. And so they're in prisons many, many, many weeks a year. And a lot of them away from home, away from their wives, away from their families. And uh, they, they, they really, really especially need your prayers. And uh, what a ministry, what a ministry it is. What God laid on Brother Blue's heart and Brother Garris's and then being carried on by Brother Terry. It's just a, a great and wonderful ministry. So I do thank God for, for you all, brother, and thank you for your... I, I started to say sacrifice, but I don't believe that word fits America. I really don't. I don't think we need to, I think we need to junk the word sacrifice for Americans and replace it with the word inconvenience. I can take you in places in the world and people sacrifice, but in America, we, we experience a little inconvenience here and there, but we don't really sacrifice in America. I was just sitting there looking at that thermometer. Somebody real quickly who's a mathematician, a, 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 you know, got a, got a brain that uh, some accountant or somebody in here. Um, if 100 people gave $25 a week, what would that be in a year? Huh? <laughs> For one year. $25 a week. How much would that be? Little as much when God is in it. 100 people. There's that many people in here. 100 people, more than that in here. But if 100 people just gave $25 a week, my prayer would be answered, preacher. Yeah, I was, 
I, w I was wondering what, what kind of cell phone he had there. <laughs> he's been gossiping too much. On, <laughs> that's, that's what his problem is. <laughs> yes, yes. But uh, did you get that? If 100 people just gave $25 a week, then my prayer would be answered. Huh? That's so simple. Let me tell you something. Let me challenge you. Not long ago, I preached in a church in Florida, and it's about this size, and they had given 145000 the year before, and when they took the faith promise, it was 255000 Church about this size, just of working people. I can take you to a church in Georgia, that's got about as many people as you all. They give over $300,000 a year. Just common working people give over $300,000 a year to missions and have for years and years and years and years and years. My biggest supporter monthly is that church right there. And uh, see, little bits make a whole lot. Amen. And all it takes if you want gold, silver, and precious stones to lay at the feet of Jesus, hmm? Would you rather have wood, hay, and stubble? That's just the way it is. What you saw last night was Bible truth, and that's the way it is. So think, think, think about where's your priority? Where are your priorities? And you say, sacrifice? Now, there may be some old people on fixed incomes that might sacrifice to give to missions. And that is a sacrifice. But most of us who have a job, nah, you give in conveniently maybe, but not sacrificially. I'm not trying to shame you. I'm just trying to lay out the facts and let you see how, how the just a little bit from everybody. There's not very many working people that could not give $25 a week. That's, uh, you know, this, this is the common shame, but uh, that's uh, five Starbucks. <laughs> that's one a day, right? Huh? That's, that's truth, right? Yeah, it sure is. But uh, just, just think on that. Thank you so much for letting me come. <laughs> Pastor McDonald, thank you so much for allowing me to. Pastor O'Donnell, thank you. <laughs> I'm thinking about Big Macs again. But I called him out the other night, but I started to say, Mark, and I don't do that in the pulpit. I, I don't call pastors by their first name in the pulpit. And I said, Pastor, and I said, Donald. And uh, everybody said, you called him McDonald. I did tonight. I'll have to admit that. But you'll have to forgive me. And uh, Pastor O'Donnell, thank you so much for inviting me and allowing me to be here and just fellowship with you and your wonderful family. What a blessing it is. And it's an expanded family since I saw you before. And probably will be expanding more very soon. Why are y'all pretending like you didn't hear me? 
Huh? Brad said, "Amen." Did you hear? Did you hear that? Amen. Huh? <laughs> Probably be expanding more. My, it's like my brother. He didn't have any any grandkids, and all of a sudden he had five. And I said, "Boy, they come in litters, don't they, brother?" <laughs> and that's the way. That's the way it'll happen. It seems like. Well, in in our family, my wife and all of her. She's got seven brothers and sisters. And uh, we all, we had the first child, and immediately one of them had a second one, and then the third and the fourth. Then we again had one, two, three, four. And then 10 years later, we had one, two, three, four. I mean, we were first every time, and then they, they fell right in behind, even on the 10-year-later one. So, uh, uh, you know, a power of suggestion. That's, that's what it is, power of suggestion. Uh, let's uh, thank you for the good motel, the r r very restful, comfortable motel. Uh, that's that's just you're so gracious, and uh, uh, every time I come here, I just get refreshed. And you people are so refreshing. And that Christian nightclub and last night, I had a hangover <laughs> this morning. And uh, uh, what a, I, I told some of the guys today, I said, I don't know why y'all don't have more young men in this church. I never seen so many pretty girls sitting across the table from me last night. I don't know why, you know, looks like young men be hanging out around here. Amen. And uh, just just beautiful young ladies here and the ugliest bunch of boys I've ever seen in my, in my life. <laughs> I, I, used to, I used to go off places and preach and I'd come home, my daughters would say, Preacher, have any sons? Yeah, were they good looking? I don't know. <laughs> I, know I ain't never checked the guy out to see if he's good looking. <laughs> and I'm too old to start now, praise <laughs> the Lord. <laughs> Amen. But I, I could tell them I saw a lot of pretty girls. Amen. And uh, uh, older I get, the prettier they get. I don't know what it is, but when I got 60 and 60-year-old women were pretty, I knew I was getting old then. <laughs> Now the 70-year-old women are pretty. Amen. <laughs> so that's, uh, it's all relevant. It's all relevant. And uh, I, I thank God for this church and the work you do. And man, what a church. You don't know how blessed you are. I told my wife, this is one of the best churches that I go to. It really is. And you got one of the most balanced pastors I've ever met. And you know one of the most important, the most important thing in the ministry, besides being filled with the Holy Ghost, is to be balanced. And boy, you've got a balanced pastor. You've got one that loves you. And uh, I would say that if he wasn't here. I, re I, I tell people everywhere about you and your church here and uh, what a blessing you are. All right, turn in your Bibles tonight to 1 Samuel 17. Very familiar passage of scripture tonight in 1 Samuel 17. And uh, we see here a story that's familiar to every Sunday school teacher, to every Sunday school student. Uh, it's one of the first stories you'll hear if you go into Sunday school as a child is David and Goliath. You can say David to any child and they know about Goliath. You can say Goliath to any child and they know about David. 
It's a very familiar story. And you say, well, what in the world are you going to get missions out of this? Well, missions is everywhere in the Bible when you're a missionary, right, brother? <laughs> you, you can't see a passage of Scripture in the Bible without you see missions in that passage of Scripture. But uh, let, let me just, let me just uh, uh, we'll, we'll just run through the story a little bit, and then I'm going to read, read, read uh, uh, the Scripture. Of course, we know that the children of Israel were encamped in the Valley of Elah, on one hillside, the Philistines on the other hillside. I have had the privilege to be there many times. In fact, I have brought stones out of that dried up brook, which is a wadi. Uh, they call them wadis when they're dried up. And certain times of the year it's dried up, but I brought stones home to all of my grandchildren from that brook. But as you know, here was the giant out there with the Philistines, defying the armies of God. And this had gone on for days and days and days. Now here were the children of Israel on the other hillside, the giant walking out in the valley of Elah, challenging the people of God. And Saul, a head taller than the other men, was over there shaking in his boots just like all the rest of them were. They were all very, very afraid of the giant, rightfully so. Well, there's a little teenage boy that's tending his father's sheep. And he's got three brothers up there in the battle or in a raid there with the armies of Israel. And his father says to him, and he calls David in from his sheep, and he says, I want you to take these cheeses and these breads and I want you to go up and check on your brothers and see how they are. So David treks up through there, and it's uh, or down through there, from where David was uh, down to uh, the Valley of Elah was probably about a 40-mile trek. And David walks all that way and walks up and sees the battle in array. He walks into the armies of the children of Israel. And he said, I'll paraphrase, and he said, what's happening here? And of course, uh, uh, Everybody's over there shaking and biting their finger. Their fingernails are probably under the quick by now because they knew they were going to die because nobody could whip the Philistine giant. So David sees the situation and he says, well, I'll take him on. And of course, uh, Saul was just thrilled that anybody would take him on. This is a real king. His name was Barak. And... Uh, <laughs> If you don't believe it, what's he doing about the ISIS? Nothing. Uh, what does he do about anything? Nothing. And uh, so I, I think they were cousins anyway. But, but, but uh, he says, oh, man, yeah, yeah. And his brother said, man, you get back to the house. You, don't, you, you ain't got any business out here. And, of course, uh, David says, is there not a cause? This man's defying the armies of God. There, is there not a cause? And he goes to Saul and he says, I'll take him on. And Saul said, okay, all right, okay, try put on my armor. And of course, the armor, it's too big. David says, I haven't tried it. It's too much. It's too big for him. And so he gives it back to him. And uh, Saul, you know, they questioned him at the first. And he said, well, a lion and a bear came after my father's sheep and I killed them both. Pretty good little boy, would you say? 
and I would like him on my side. He said, I killed both the lion and I killed both the bear. So Saul says, okay. And uh, before David goes out, I want you to look in verse 40. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook. And he put them in his shepherd's bag, which he had even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Well, the rest of the story is that he takes the sling, and he slings that thing around his head, and he turns it loose, and God put the power behind the stone. Now, the Bible tells us the stone sunk into his head, and he fell forward on his face. And David ran over and took the sword, took the giant sword out of his sheath, and he slayed the giant, cut his head off. He must have had a little Islam in him. No, he didn't have that. But, 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 but he cut his head off, and he carried the head back to the king. And of course, Saul immediately becomes jealous because they begin to sing, David has slain, or Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. What happened? The armies of God took off after the Philistine and they went and they slew them all. Why? Because of one boy that had the power of God. Now, I, you know, we, we preach about the stones. We talk about the stones. We talk about why there were five stones. And of course, there's the theory that he had four brothers and he got one for each one of them. But he didn't have to because the armies of God slayed them. I want to think for just a few minutes tonight on some things that's better than rocks. Oh, yeah, he had some stones, but there were some things that were better than those rocks. Hey, when we go, brother, when you go into those prisons, you're not depending upon the physical. You're not depending upon your ability. You're not depending upon your oratory. You're not depending upon your ability to, to sit down and witness to somebody and get the Romans road in order. You're not depending on that. We're not depending on physical things. We're not depending on the power of man. When, when, when Brother O'Donnell st started this church or began this in this ministry right here, it wasn't upon his talents, and he has many. I mean, great singer. I mean, I love to hear him sing. That song tonight, he touched me. And I want to ask you a question. Why have we got to have contemporary music when we've got such as that? Man, you know what I say about it? It ain't broke, so don't fix it. I'm telling you, it has the power of God upon it. And hey, I sat over and wept because I thought of the day he touched me. Oh, that day is as real as, 
Uh, hey, when I, when I walked in that door back there, I can remember that night in that little Free Will Baptist Church in Black Mountain, North Carolina, better than I can remember walking in that door back there. And don't you ever try to tell me I'm not saved because that night God did something for me that changed my life. It changed my life, thank God. It made a difference in my life. So don't you ever tell me I'm not saved. Hey, there's one thing in this world I know. I'm saved and I know it. And I like that song the choir sung. That's my, one of my favorite hymns. I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delights. Oh, thank God. I love those old hymns. Uh, hey, they bless my heart afresh and anew. I can hear them over and over and over, and all of a sudden one word or one line will just blow my heart out, man. Hey, this new stuff, it don't do that. Uh-uh. No, no, it don't do that. But those old hymns will just do it over and over and over, and they just keep doing it. And just keep doing it. Keep on doing what you're doing. But I'm going to talk about some things that's better than them rocks he had in that pouch. Number one, he was sent by his father. <laughs> you know what? As a missionary, as a preacher, you, hey, being sent by your father. Your father never sent you anywhere that he didn't equip you to do what he sent you to do. Never has a man been sent. And he says in verse 15, there are, or verse 17, excuse me, of, of chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. And Jesse said to David, his son, Take now thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves and run to the camp of thy brethren. Boy, he took corn. Me and my eight-year-old grandson, we've decided we're going to build us a swimming pool we're going to fill it up with corn. And we're going to pray that God will let us drown in that corn. I love corn. Cut it off of the cob. Fix it, man. I was telling Sister, Sister O'Donnell about how we down south, we fry that stuff in an old skillet, old iron skillet. And man, I'm telling you what, there ain't nothing like it. If I, drowned, if I, if I had a biscuit in each hand and drowned in it, I'd be as happy as I can be. I'm telling you. But you know what? David was sent by his father. Amen. Hey, brother, you know why you're in the prison? You were sent by your Amen. father. You know why them folks are getting saved in the prison? Because you're sent by the father. Hey, when the father sends you, it's going to happen. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. I talked to my man in Kenya today and I was telling the preacher on the way to church, uh, there's a missionary there in Kenya and he's been there for 30 years and he's got eight people in his church. I don't think the father sent him. He, he got in touch with Brother Anthony Eka, called our man there and said he wanted to meet with him and find out what our secret is. I said the best secret he could find out is to reveal to him he needed to come home. Hey, I'm telling you, if the Father sends you, things are going to happen. And David knew he was sent by the Father. He knew that it was no accident he was there in that valley of Elah. He knew that that giant needed to go because he has defined the armies of the living God. And when God said go, he wasn't scared. He wasn't shaking. He was ready to, hey, let me tell you something. I've been in jail in Mexico. 
didn't have a fear in my bones. I'm not the bravest man in the world, never have pretended. I got beat up in the streets of Haifa passing out tracks. Never had a fear in my bones. Hey, I'm telling you what, we got stoned coming out of Alexandria, Egypt. Our vehicle got stoned. There was glass everywhere. Dr. Richard Smith, our vice president, had eaten some bad turkey up in Israel, and we got down there, and he was laying on the back seat, passed out, colder than a wedge with Pharaoh's revenge. And he, he, he didn't even wake up. He woke up and there's glass all over him. He didn't even know what was happening. But let me tell you something. You know why I was? Hey, I don't know why. It's the grace of God. That's why. Hey, listen, God sent me there. That's why they didn't bother me. I don't want to spend any time in the Mexican jail. That's why I give them $7,000 to keep them going. <laughs> we did. And they arrested us for stealing our own automobile. And somebody said, we got back, and somebody said, I'd have, I'd have, I'd have, I'd have. I said, you can add all you want. I'd have done just what I did. You'd have given them $7,000. Because if you'd have seen that commode in that jail, you didn't want to stay in there. Uh-uh. The whole place stunk like that thing over there. And, hey, it wasn't flushed. It was piled up. I didn't have any idea. I didn't want to stay three months there. That's what they said, three months or 7000 I said 7,000, amen. Hey, let me tell you something. Hey, you know what? Father sent me. We was going up to, we was going up to a church that night. We got into town. We was going to have a service. Got into town. Got right in the edge of town. They pulled us over and ended up taking us to jail and then took us to a doctor, make sure we had our medicines and all that. And I said, well, fellas, we in trouble. And so, so uh, uh, but, but they, they let us go. Let us write a check. And give us till Monday morning to cover it in the bank. <laughs> was that fishy? Yeah, it was fishy. There's about uh, probably eight men. Then they impounded our car and kept us kept our car two more months and had to give them another thousand dollars to get our car out. I never. I was at peace the whole time. You know why? My father sent me. My father sent me. I knew he'd take care of me. I had no doubt he'd take care of me. Hey, you know what? I went into Egypt, an impossible task. An impossible task. As far as I was concerned, I had no ability. I did not go to Egypt as a missionary. I did not. I would not go anywhere as a missionary. I was a pastor. I did not want to be a missionary. I had no desire to be a missionary. In fact, for me to be a missionary was utterly repulsive. I wouldn't go on a mission trip. You couldn't have hired me to go on. If somebody said, we'll give you a million dollars to go to mission trip, I said, uh, not me. Mm -mm. Not me. No, no. God's going to call me. When I got called to preach, we'd have a missions conference, and I was scared the whole time. Oh, God, don't, don't make me a missionary. Don't call me a missionary. Oh, God, I'm serious. I mean, I'd weep. I'm so God, don't, don't call me. Don't, don't call me. Don't, don't. And, 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 and you know what? God knew what he was doing. God knew what he was doing. And I'm going to make his, this, this story real short. But you know what? The, there, was, there, was, there was a man in Egypt that got put in jail, an Egyptian, because he led a young lady to the Lord, 22 years old. She came to church and got baptized. And over there, when the, in the Muslim world, when you get baptized, that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. 
They don't relate to salvation. They can get saved, but when they get baptized, they've changed religion. The police came. His, her family went to the police and complained. They went to his house at 2 o'clock in the morning and arrested him. Took him away. His family thought they'd never see him. They've got underground prisons over there that people have been in for years that never seen the light of day and their family's never seen them again. They did at that time. And his family thought that's where he was going to be. We began to pray in America. Well, on Sunday, there was 100 policemen went in and closed their church down. Went down the road 15 miles to El Maria and closed another Baptist church down. Put an orange seal over the door and closed her up. If you cross that orange seal, they shoot you. They don't ask any questions. It was worse then than it is now. But they took him and he stayed in jail for five days. We began to pray in all over America. They let him go. Well, those church, two churches sat there closed. And when churches close, people scatter. Some of them never go to church. Some of them, part of them go somewhere else. But most of them never go. So they asked our congressman if he would send one of his aides to meet with the governor of Alexandria to see if he could get those churches open. Something happened to the aide. The congressman's a very close friend of mine. We were very close. I was actually over a group of pastors. It was his, uh, you know, liaison with religious matters and et cetera. And he asked me, he said, Wendell, would you go? Because something happened to his aide. He couldn't go. And I said, yeah, I'll go. I prayed about it. And I said, yeah, I'll go. Now, I wouldn't have gone to Egypt on a mission trip. You couldn't hide me. No way. And so I ended up going. And uh, went through the embassy. I was a representative of the Congress of the United States. I was not a missionary. Now, I felt like a big dog. I was a representative of the Congress. Hey, I went through the embassy. They set up the meeting with the governor of Alexandria. And uh, if you don't believe me, I've got witnesses. I had witnesses with me the whole time. And so we met with the governor of Alexandria, and he said, uh, I, I, you know, he's, I, I, we went in and sat down and talked to him, and I said, you know, uh, I talked to small talk for a little while, and uh, I wish I could tell you the whole story, but I don't have time. But uh, Governor, I said, uh, Governor, uh, uh, Congress has, has requested that you open those two churches, and he, no churches, no churches, no churches. No, we will not, no churches, no license. And uh, Congressman told me, he said, we just gave them, um, what was it, 50, uh, it was $50 million to rebuild their sewage system, something like that. And I said, uh, oh, by the way, when he got mad, I said, oh, by the way, the congressman said that they were happy that they could give you the $50 million to rebuild your sewage system. He said, oh, thank you. Thank you to people of the United States. <laughs> and so he calmed down, but he would not open the churches. I came back to America, and I thought I was done. I wasn't going back. And I'd bow and pray. All I could see was Egyptian faces. Yes, sir. My heart 
those people. And we had a conference over there, and we preached, and we had we had numbers saved, and I could see their hunger, and I could see them wanting what we had, getting saved. I tried to start churches for two years and pastor. I ended up three months later after that back in meeting with Osama Obaz, who was the chief of staff for President Mubarak, and asked him if he'd opened those churches. I was still there as a representative of the congressman of the United States Congress. And he said, we will open your churches, but the Egyptian law is slow, and it'll take at least a year. And I said, fine, sir, as long as you load. Took them a year, and they opened the churches. But you know, God burdened me. I began to travel to Egypt backwards and forwards every, about every three months and planting churches and raising funds to plant churches. And I thought, well, I'll pastor the rest of my life and I'll plant churches in Egypt. Well, <laughs> I found out that wouldn't work. So God was eating my heart up. Go, Egypt, Egypt, Egypt. And I resigned my church. I walked up in the pulpit of my church on the last Sunday of of January 1996, I had not told my wife. I had not told my 17-year-old daughter. I had not told one soul. I met with the men on Saturday evening and arranged it and that, 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 that my assistant would be uh, interim pastor for two weeks. And two weeks from that day, they'd vote on him and they voted on him. And there's been two, two preachers there, two pastors there, and they celebrated their 40th anniversary last Sunday. Went well. But I got in the pulpit on Sunday morning and I said, I uh, have an announcement to make after I preach. And I preached that morning. Folks got saved. I got up at the end of service and I said, well, this is my last Sunday here. My wife and daughter are sitting back over there. I said, I'm resigning. I'm planting churches in Egypt. I am now a missionary that I did not want to be. And my wife went, don't try it. <laughs> Don't try it. I got out of the car. I, I, I went to lunch. We went to the Piccadilly restaurant for lunch. She, she accepted. She was fine. And uh, uh, we went to the Piccadilly restaurant on Sunday. She knew I was eat up with it because it's all I talked about. And, 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 and we went to Piccadilly restaurant. And I got out of the car and I looked up as I shut the door and something said, you're a vagrant. You know what a vagrant is, don't you? He has no visible means of support. My church had taken care of everything for me. They had taken care of my, my car, my gas, my electricity, my water. They had given me a housing allowance, insurance. And I walked out of there and had that. I didn't have a big bank account. I had that. And I have missed so many men. <laughs> oh, we ain't missed any, have we, brother? Huh? No. You know why? My father sent me. It's a whole lot better than any physical. Hey, I could have gone to Egypt with a with, with a with a thirty alt six or a, a, a M sixteen. I could have gone over there with an RPG launcher, and I could have gone over there with a tank and an airplane, a jet, and everything else. Never accomplished anything. But boy, we've started twenty eight churches in Egypt. 
hundreds of people have come to Christ. You know why? The Father sent me. That's a whole lot better than rocks. We had one meeting, and I've already told you about it, but it's going to fit right here. We had a meeting in El Minya, Egypt. We put up a tent over acres. We had over 7,500 people in three days attend that meeting, and we had over 4,000 Egyptians come to Christ. We had 300 policemen surrounding the place and protecting us. We had Rambo on our car with us. He was looked like Mr. Clean. He had an he had a a, 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 a a Uzi on this side and a nine millimeter Glock on this side, and he was my personal bodyguard, and I didn't fear anybody or anything. <laughs> Some things are better than rocks. Hey, a Muslim secret policeman protected. And guess what? He would stand when I'd preach and he'd stand here like this watching the congregation. Well, we sp I preached in a venue and there was, the wall was right here. So there wasn't any room for him. He sat right over there. He did not look at the congregation one time. I started preaching. He sat there with his eyes glued on me. And when I made the invitation and we prayed and I sat down in my chair, he went with a big smile on his face. <laughs> on Thursday, that was Tuesday, on Thursday, we were driving back to Cairo. He came and, and he didn't speak real good English. He could gather a little. But he came to our man there and he said, uh, we'd stopped at a rest area to get something to drink. He came to him and he said, accepted Christ as my Savior. He said, don't tell. I lose my job. I lose my family. Everything I have will be gone. Would you tell? Huh? Boy, here in America, what happened? Last night, a young lady sitting in the congregation got saved just night before last. She didn't have to worry about losing family. Her dad came with her. Huh? You didn't have to lose your family when you got saved. No, you didn't have to lose your job. You didn't have to lose your house, your home, everything. But I'm telling you, hey, all of that happened because there's some things better than rocks. And the Lord sent me. My Father sent me. I could tell you story after story in Egypt of things that happened like that because my father sent me. And you know number two, something is better than rocks, he had a servant's heart. <laughs> Look in verse 34. Look in verse 34. And I got to hurry. In verse 34, look here what he says. And David said unto Saul, thy servant, oh, you know what he said? To his king. I'm your servant. He said, I'm not your superior. I'm your servant. I'm here to serve you, O king. But the king didn't believe that later on. But David, oh, when David found him down there in the cave of Abdullah, 
found him sleeping, went up and clipped the tail of his garment off and went down to the bottom of the hill and shook it at him and said, See, O king, I'm not your enemy. I could have taken your life. David had a servant's heart from day one. Hey, David was sent by his father, and David had a servant's heart. You know how you're going to accomplish anything for God? If you don't have a servant's heart, you're going to accomplish nothing. <clears throat> Who's the greatest preacher in this Bible besides Jesus Christ? Who? Paul the Apostle. He's our example. He set the example for us. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Look, look, quick, quick. Romans chapter 1. Quick, quick. All right? I got to hurry tonight. I promised I would. I'm going to hurry. All right, Romans chapter 1. What does it say? Paul, an apostle. Right? Is that right? Huh? What does it say? The greatest preacher in the Bible, other than Jesus Christ, did not brag on his apostleship. He boasted about his servantship. His apostleship was secondary to his servantship. You know what we would have done? We just said, Paul and Apostle. Uh-huh. That's about our generation. And we'd have took a selfie. <laughs> and we'd have put it on Facebook. I said, God's got, hey, look, look what God's got. He's got an apostle. I'm one of 13 men that ever lived. I'm one of 13 in the church. I'm the 13th apostle called to the rebellious Gentile because the number 13 is the number of rebellion. He said, God's called me as an apostle to the, thir to the rebellious Gentiles. I'm number 13. Mm-hmm. No, he said, Paul, servant. You know what? If you've got a servant's heart, you're going to accomplish a lot for God. That's a whole lot better than rocks. Oh, it's a whole lot better than your abilities. It's a whole lot better than, than, than what you have and what you develop. And, 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 hey, Brother Josh, you've been to Bible college. That's wonderful. That's good. That's very good. Man, your talents grew in Bible college tremendously. They did. You're a very talented young man. But let me tell you something. That ain't near as good as being a servant. Huh? Oh, no, no. No, no. I got a grandson, went to Crown College, same place Caleb went. And boy, I'm telling you what, he can play a piano. Good night. He can play a piano. But you know what? That ain't a bit of good unless you've got a servant's heart. When you decide you've got a servant's heart, it's better than all them physical things. When it, hey, hey, listen, you know what you need to do? You know, you know the best way up? Down. Huh? <laughs> a church said, they said, we're looking for a preacher. But we're looking for somebody that can reach heaven on his knees. Amen. Can you reach heaven on your knees? Hey, how are you going to reach heaven on your knees? You're going to reach it by, by, by being 
down. He said, number one, I'm servant to you, king. Number two, I want you to notice what he said in verse 34 again. He said, uh, and David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. He was a servant to the king, and he's a servant to his daddy. You know something? You know why God's blessing you, Josh? Because you went and got a great college education. No, you're a servant to him. That's why God will bless you. You're a servant to daddy. If you're never a servant to daddy, you know what disciple, you know what, you know what the root word of disciple is? Discipline. If you're never a servant of your daddy, you'll never be a servant to God. You young people in here, if you're never a servant to your parents, if you're never disciplined, discipled by your parents, you'll never, 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 no never amount to anything for God. David had some things that was better than rocks, and he had a servant's heart was number two, and I'm hurrying. Number three, verse 29. Verse 29 of the same chapter. He said, and David said, what have I now done? Talking to his brothers and talking to all of them. Go home, boy. You're nothing but a stripling. You're a little a kid. Get out of here. You just come up here to just to see what's going on. Get out of here. He said, is there not a cause? Yeah, there's a cause. And you know what? David had a purpose. If you don't have a purpose in life, you'll never amount to anything. If your purpose in life is to get you a good job, go to work, make good money, buy a house with a lot of bathrooms. I saw uh, just on the news a little while ago, they showed Peyton Manning's mansion in Colorado. It's as big as one quarter of a football field. It's got 10 bathrooms. How would you ladies like to clean 10 bathrooms? Huh? What in the world you want with 10 bathrooms? Boy, if you had Pharaoh's revenge, you could just run all over the house, couldn't you? Amen. <laughs> but, but what in the world somebody want with a quarter of a football field of houses? Hey, you know what? If your purpose is that, if that's what your life is, you have no purpose. You're existing. But a purpose. Hey, there's a cause. Hey, I've found out in my life that I have a purpose. And, and man, when I, when I lead somebody to God, I'm, I've just got joy, 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 joy down in my heart. There's nothing like it. My purpose is there's people dying and going to hell. My purpose is that there are people that will never hear unless I go. Hey, my wife's always saying, Hey, why don't you just stay home, run the office, and let the other guys do it? I'd rather die. I'm like old preacher Black down in North Carolina. Years ago, he always said, I want to die with a chicken leg in my mouth and my boots on. 
You know what he did? He died in a restaurant with his boots on eating chicken. Boy, that's the way to go. That's the way to go. Why? There's a cause. There's a purpose in life. Oh, souls, souls, souls. Oh, it's, it, it's, oh, is there not a cause? Hey, talk to Brother Anthony today in Africa. You know what? He called me to tell me that that two pieces of property that Dr. Gomez wrote us a check for $10,000 while he was there with us. He said, we're ready to buy. The family is ready to buy. And he said, you know, he said, what I've been fighting, uh, uh, Dr. Runyon, is that the man had eight wives and 17 kids. And they've been fighting over the land. And finally, the day, they said, today, they said, yes, get the money here fast so we can get it settled. But you know what? When we were there, we saw... We saw 2,900 or, or 2,139 saved. That's the cause. That's the cause. That's the purpose. Hey, when, when, I, when I went to those Egyptians, those souls that's been saved, when I went to the, to the Kenyans, those souls that are being saved, he said today, said since we were there and we had the conference, he said the ministry has already grown. Said the churches are experiencing great revival. Man, that just thrilled me to death. Why? Because that's the cause. That's the cause. Because they're in the streets witnessing and leading people to Christ. They're knocking on doors and leading people to Christ. And, and that's the cause. If I can just be an influence to stir somebody to be a soul. To go out. Hey, Mexico. Oh my goodness. Folks, I'm going to tell you. We figured it up. Monday. In 13 years. The cause. Over 100. Million. Souls have come to Christ through our IBM ministries around the world. Over one million souls. That's conservative. When we put out newsletters, we can't tell people how many get saved. Nobody believes us. But it don't matter. God knows. Boy, there's a cause. I was with the preacher last week. And he said he was in a meeting somewhere down in Tennessee or somewhere. And he said, he mentioned my name. He said, one of the men, the preacher said, is that that fellow over here in North Carolina that claims to be having so many people saved? <laughs> they don't believe us. I don't care. God's keeping the record. Boy, there's a cause. There's a cause, folks. There's so many people that will never hear without you get involved in the cause. I tell you what, there's some things better than rocks. And his cause is better than rocks. You know what? We figured it up. 
over a million souls been saved. And I'm telling you, that's conservative. 206 churches started around the world. 13 years. Well, in 18 years, the 206 church. But that's just 13 years, that million. I don't know how many's been saved the other. Six. I don't even know how many. We have built over 100 church buildings on the mission field. As I told you the other night, we rode a 40-mile stretch in Kenya. And 18 times I was able to say, Dr. Gomez right there, I'd be on church was not here 13 years ago. There's another one. 18 times. Boy, there's a call. There's a cause. There's a cause. Some things are just better than rocks. Amen. Let's bow our heads.